0: Well, last week, if you were here with us, we talked about hope, hope, this robust, transforming hope that Jesus gives us. And it's interesting because everybody wants to live by hope, but it's hard when you don't see your hope coming true. You know, when things that you hope for don't ever materialize, you hope that in the year 2013, you're going to grow spiritually. But what if you don't? You hope that you're going to grow closer to God, but, but then you don't. Um, you hope that you're going to win in your battle with an addiction or with a habitual sin, but you don't. You know, there's several reasons why people don't grow. There's several reasons why the things we hope for don't come true. Sometimes sin is the reason. You know, sin separates us from God. And if we don't confess our sins to him, if we're not honest with him about our sins, they act like a barrier until we confess and repent of our sin. Sometimes we don't feel close to God because we're not actually seeking him. You know, we might want to be close to him, but we're not doing anything to draw near to him. Right. We just don't spend time with him. And so that can uh, sometimes cause us not to grow. And then there's other times where, you know what? Those things just aren't the reason, right? Because what happens if you've confessed your sin and you're trying, right? You are seeking God. You know know you're not perfect, but your heart is for him, right? You want to live for him, and you're trying to live for him. Your heart is to have him in your life, but still, you're not making progress, right? Anybody with me here? (laughs) Usually when that happens, one of two things there's one of two responses often um, oftentimes people will just sort of throw up their hands and just go you know what forget it forget it I've tried it doesn't work for me and this is why people leave the church I actually have a, a friend, a close friend whose testimony is yeah you know what I tried Christianity and it didn't work And so sometimes we just sort of give up there are people here who, if they had their choice, they wouldn't be here. Or maybe you're ready to just give up. Right? You might be on the verge. Because you know what? Try as you might, it doesn't work. Jesus isn't becoming closer to you. You're not experiencing hope. Other times, though, the second reaction people have is that you don't leave the church, but You settle. You settle. You say, well, I believe in Jesus, but this stuff about change and about growing and about God's blessings, it's just not true for me. So anytime you see it in the Bible, anytime you hear somebody talk about it, you think, oh, yeah, yeah, that's what those other, that's what other people, every other Christian maybe feels, but I don't. And it kills you to settle, but you think, well, I'm just waiting for heaven. you might hate to settle but it's like what else can you do you know what else is there to do and so if you're in this situation today whether you're a christian whether you're a non-christian whether you're a former christian god has something he wants to say to you and god wants to speak to you today he has a message for you and we're going to see that Uh, before we actually look though what the bible has to say you know um I mentioned last week the movie Les Miserables that came out, the new musical that came out. Well, I want to show you a clip from the 1998 version of the movie. Okay, 1998, they, they did a, not a musical version, but a, just a normal movie with Liam Neeson. And uh, I want to show you a scene of this. This is a graphic illustration of where so many of us are. Okay, it's kind of an extreme situation, but it's where many of us are. It's John Valjean. He's been set free from prison, but he's stuck. He's stuck. And he has the same problem that many of us have. Okay? So I want to see if you can identify his problem. So we're going to put this up here on the screen. We lost the lamp. It worked in the in the, in the in the in the prep before the service started. It's working like a charm. You know, well, let's turn it up and just listen, and I'll narrate. So Jean Valjean's a convict. He's been set out. He's got to get to a place a long way way he's on parole and so he comes to this house and this pastor lets him in invites him to eat and he can't believe it so there they are they're sitting at dinner can we get or is the, is the volume gone now too we're still getting no light out of the, uh, out of the projector so. that's alright just kill it Just kill act, it. It out. act it out <laughs> so Jean Valjean has dinner with these folks with the pastor and this other woman and uh, they're like well what crime did you commit it's like well maybe I murdered somebody how do you know I'm not going to murder you And the pastor looks at him and he says, How do you know I'm not going to murder you? (laughs) Jean Valjean, was that a joke? The pastor says, I guess we're just going to have to trust each other. Jean Valjean says, Yeah, I stole bread, but I paid for it. 19 years hard labor. Um, And now I'm free. And they gave me this passport, and I have to get to Dijon, which is presumably a long, long way away. He's hopeless. He's hopeless. He's got nothing. He's hopeless. But then he says, you know what? A meal, a real bed to sleep in. Whoever you are, thank you. And so they go to bed, and the next scene is of Jean Valjean, and he wakes up in the middle of the night, and he's sitting there tense. And he gets up, and he goes out to the dining room, and he steals the silverware. And he's in the process of taking the silverware out and putting it into into his bag. And he hears a noise, and the pastor is coming down the hall. He says, is anybody there?
1: And Jean Valjean
0: hides, it's not much of a hiding place, but he sort of hides behind the cabinet where all the silver uh, was. The pastor comes out and sees Jean Valjean standing there. And they come face to face, and the look on Jean Valjean's face is this one of utter hopelessness. Because he's caught red-handed. He knows he's in trouble. He knows what he's doing is wrong, but he doesn't know anything else to do. And so he decks the pastor and knocks him out. He takes the silver and he runs off. He runs into the night. And I think when you see this, when you experience this, when you hear the story of this, I mean, there's a truth, there's a reality that's missing. ...from Jean Valjean's life. There's a reality that just he doesn't get. And the reality is something that we all struggle with. It's something that we all need to hear. And it's in Genesis chapter 2. But in order to actually understand and feel the power... ...behind what what God says... ...we need to catch the context of Genesis chapter 1. So if you grab your bulletin on page 6... ...we're going to look at pieces of Genesis 1... ...and then look at Genesis chapter 2... It says there, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants, and trees, and God saw that it was good. And God made the two great lights. And the stars. And God saw that it was good. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature in the waters and every winged bird. And God saw that it was good. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And the livestock according to their kinds. And everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And so God created man in his own image. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And so, when God made everything, in the beginning... Right? In the beginning, before anything else, what God made was good, 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 very good. Right, Good six times over, and then with the seventh time, there's a crescendo at the end. Right, Numerically intentional, the seventh good was very good. Well then, Genesis 2 retells some of that same creation story, focusing on the creation of human beings. In Genesis 2, verse 8, it says... And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then... The Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. So in the midst of all the good that God made, right? You think about the beauty, the color, the vibrant, teeming life. There is one thing that's not good. It's not good that man should be alone. That's the bottom line that we need to grasp if we're ever going to make progress in our spiritual lives, okay? In your struggle with sin, in your efforts to see Jesus, to show him to others, the reason that we often struggle is because it's not good for you to be alone. That's the bottom line. God says it's not good for you to be alone. Being alone contributes more than just about anything else to the struggle that you have with sin. When we think about this for Jean Valjean and Les Mis, like, he was alone. He had no one. Desperate, nowhere to turn, no hope. That's what drove him to do what he did. <laughs> it doesn't necessarily excuse his behavior, but it explains it. Like what drives people to do things? It's this kind of desperation it's not good for him to be alone. It's not good for someone to have no one to turn to. right? It's not good for someone to live in isolation. Because when the chips are down, when life falls apart, being alone drives us into desperation. And it, it, it drives us inward, into selfishness that consumes us. Okay, if you want to grow, it's not good for you to be alone. It's not good for you to be alone. Another way to say it, Isolation evaporates spiritual life. Okay, isolation evaporates spiritual life. Now I do want to make a qualification. In Genesis 2, when God says this, he is describing the, the, sort of the origins of, of woman, of women. okay This is the precursor to him creating Eve out of a rib from Adam. Okay, and so this passage specifically is talking about the creation of the family, right? Male and female, God, we saw in Genesis 1 that God made man in his own image in verse 27. Male and female, he created them. And so we're getting details on how that happened. And so Genesis two's, if you're going to interpret it, it's designed to teach us um, about marriage. It's designed to teach us about a husband and a wife um, But it's interesting because if we look at the context, okay, what God says here about the creation of the woman is that she is necessary for Adam to be able to complete his mission. Okay? God gave Adam a mission, right? It was a mission, and Adam could not complete God's mission by himself. Okay? Adam could not do what God called him to do alone. Okay, God told Adam to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Okay, He couldn't do that by himself. So that phrase, verse um, 20, it's in verse 28, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish and the birds and the sea, creatures and everything thing that moves on the earth. There's a number of things involved in that. So God's mission to humanity at the beginning was populate the earth. That's the one everybody like, understands. But more than that, God's call to humanity was to rule and govern the earth, okay? To rule over it, have dominion, right? Subdue the earth, have dominion over the earth. So to rule and govern it, they were called to bring out the best of the earth. You know, I can imagine and understand God saying, boy, to Adam and Eve, you have no idea what I have hidden in this. This world is your oyster. Like, go hunting for it and bring out the best of it. And we see from early on that in, like, musical instruments were created. There was an appreciation of gold and precious stones, right? And so God had put beauty and wonder into the world. <clears throat> and their mission, part of their mission was, um, part of their mission was to bring out the best of the earth. And in all of this, so populating the earth, ruling and governing, bringing out the best of the earth, in all of this, people were called To be the image of God. Okay? Because God God made man in his image. Uh, Male and female, he created them. And so, in all of this, people are called to image what God does. And the bottom line here is that does it work? So, keep going. Here's the bottom line perfect timing. Keep going. (laughs) Keep going. Bottom line, to be alone. Isolation evaporates spiritual life. Did you write that down? Okay, <laughs> Okay, this is the mission populate the earth, rule and govern the earth, bring out the earth to death. And all of this image God, right? But here's the kicker. Next slide. Man wasn't designed to do these things without woman. Any of them. Okay, woman is not needed just for this. Write that down, Tom. <laughs> Think about it. The best rulers are rulers who understand both male and female. The best governors who understand both male and female. Bring out the earth's best, there are things that men will bring out of the earth more naturally. There are things that women, I'm talking about stereotypes, but they're stereotypes for a reason. There are things, and there are things about the earth and about life in general that women more naturally bring out than men. And so, in all of this, to fully image God, <laughs> humanity's call, it was necessary, it was not good for man to be alone. And so, we can apply that in our understanding of spiritual development, in our understanding of discipleship, okay? Because in discipleship, it's not good for us to be alone, okay? Okay? In our struggles, in our pain, in our difficulties, it's not good for us to be alone. When life gets difficult, or even if things are going well for us, when things are going well for you, it's still not good for you to be alone. Because isolation evaporates spiritual life. Okay, now, I'm not talking about the fact that we all need to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Jesus. Okay, there are times, even Jesus, he left the crowds to go be alone right, with his father. So I'm not talking about that. That's a different sermon for a different time. I think you know what I'm saying. Like God has not designed us to live our lives in isolation from relationships, from friendships. We all need the support of friends. Now, it's interesting because you might think, wait a minute, hey, I'm not as bad as Jean Valjean. But I'm not as bad as that. I can get along fine on my own. Well, I want you to think about something. The passage that we're looking for, the time when God said this, this is in Genesis chapter 2. Okay, this is before the fall into sin. Right? This is before the world and relationships were wrecked by sin. Okay, so even before the fall, even before sin entered the world, people needed each other. Okay, next slide. Look at this. We don't need relationships because we're broken. We need relationships because we're human. Even before the fall, it's not good for man to be alone. Even in the absence of sin, it's not good for you to be alone. you need relationships. And, and, I mean, don't we understand that? Like, don't we get that? Because how often is it? I mean, the, the phrase is that when you're in community, our sorrows are divided. But our joys are multiplied. So when things are good, you share it with a friend and you're carrying a burden together. When can I say that backwards? Sorry, when things are bad, you divide it, you're both, you're two people now carrying a burden together. Right? But when things are good, you share it with somebody, now they're excited. Now they see it. And so even when things are good, it's not good for you to be alone. And so if you want to grow, if you want to hope to fill your life, it's not good for you to be alone. Okay? What kinds of people, think about this, this is a trick question. What kinds of people say that God is not enough? Think about that. What kinds of people say God's not enough? Look, I know he's great, but... You need God and, right? Isn't that like a sign that something bad's coming? What kinds of people say God's not enough? God is. God is. I mean, in the realm of discipleship, God says that He is not enough. Right? In verse 18, I mean, think about this. Was Adam alone? Adam wasn't alone. Genesis 5 tells us that Adam was actually God's son. Right? God, Adam had a perfect relationship with the triune God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Adam was not alone. But, but God declared that for people to be fully blessed, for people to even be fully human, people need more than God. God. Okay, so to be complete, to be fully satisfied, we need others. Okay? To say it in a different way, we were made for community. It's part of our nature. It's part of what it means to be human. A human in isolation is not fully human. And this is one reason why this is a form of torture. Right? It's one of the first things that they do. They isolate you because you're made for community. It's not good for you to be alone. And it's interesting because in some ways, this isn't just a reflection of what it means to be human, but this is a reflection of God. Right? We believe in a triune God. The Bible says that there's one God, and yet that one God exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so even God is community. Right? God exists, and the way the Bible presents him, it's a mystery that we don't fully understand, But at the core of who God is, at the core of the one God, is a father and a son and a spirit who love each other, who glorify each other, who serve each other, who follow each other, who submit to each other. Right? So it's not just humanity, but even God. Our community is a reflection of the triune image. In order for us to fully image God, we need to do that in community. Now, C.S. Lewis had a really special community of four close friends, and when, when one of them died, um, this is what he said. He said this. He said, "In each of my friends, there is something that only some other friend can bring out fully." He said, "By myself, I am not large enough to call the whole man into activity. I want other lights than my own to show all the facets." Now that my friend Charles is dead, I shall never see Ronald's reaction to a specifically Charles joke. Catch that? So Charles tells jokes and C.S. Lewis loves Ronald's reactions to his jokes. He said, far from having more of Ronald because now I have him to myself. Now that Charles is away, I have less of Ronald. The reason that strikes something in your heart is because you know this. You want this. You want to have relationships, friendships with people who can bring out not only the best in you, but the best in each other. Now, what we're doing now, we've been working for the last five or six months on building a culture um, so that we can experience relationships like this here in our church. Um, we've actually been doing this in incredibly significant ways in our community groups. right? These are the small groups that we have that meet throughout the week. Um, Time after time after time and story after story after story I hear of ways that people are supported, encouraged, loved, cared for, understood um, in these community groups. And we've been working, um, it feels like night and day, over the last five months to take our community groups to another level. um, To create something that's even more special than what's already there. Um, And so we're going to be doing that. We're going to be rolling that out in mid-February, February February 10th. We're going to talk about, but all the way up to them. I just I want to inspire you and encourage you and get you ready for this. If you're not in one of our community groups now, jump into one because these kinds, these are the relationships that get formed in our community groups. Like this, these are the stories that come from our community groups. Um, But man, you haven't seen anything yet. We're just getting started. We're just getting started. Um, and I want to show you why it's so important. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to show you another, the, the next scene that I described for you verbally um, from Les Mis. So after Jean Valjean um, hits the pastor, runs off with the silver, this next scene shows you what happens next. So this is the night, this is actually to see what happens here. can't watch that without tearing up. Do you want to know why you need to be in relationships? Like why it's not good to be alone? It's because you need people in your life who will give you grace. That's what you need. I mean, I've watched this scene, I don't know, 50, 60 times. Um. And it is remarkable to me the turn that the pastor has. Like all of a sudden, he just—it's like he wasn't even—I—I I, I don't know at what point he came up with this plan to be gracious to Jean Valjean. I have no idea, but all of a sudden, what he gives Jean Valjean is grace. That's what you need. Life in isolation. No one can ever, ever, ever speak grace into your life. And when your spiritual life evaporates, you're on your own and there's nothing coming in. You need relationships. You need people in your life who can remind you of the grace of God. And sometimes it's just a word that they remind you of the gospel. And other times, it's, it's physical action. It's that they're still with you, right? It's that even after you've done the wrong thing, even after you've fallen back into your addiction, they're sitting with you and they still love you. Man, if Jean Valjean didn't have this pastor, he would have been condemned for the rest of his life. For the rest of his life. And so God provided a helper for him. This pastor was a helper to Jean Valjean and discipleship relationships for us are our chance to be a helper to each other. And I think, I mean, we're never going to understand Christianity, right? Until we can see how this scene plays out in the gospel. Right, We have to understand that we're in the same position before God as Jean Valjean was before the pastor, right? We're condemned, we're guilty, we're in big trouble. We've abused, right? We've abused the grace that we've been given, right? We've taken advantage of God. We deserve judgment. The good news for us, the, good, the message of Christianity is that we also have A pastor in Jesus. Our sin didn't just give Jesus a black eye. Our sin sent Jesus to the cross. Where he took the punishment that our sins deserve. Man, don't you see that on the cross, Jesus was isolated. Jesus was abandoned by God. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was forsaken by the Father. He was left alone. And the miracle is that Jesus was willing to suffer this way to set us free. Jesus ransomed us from fear and hatred. He saved us from evil, not with silver, but with his own blood. He gave his life for us. And Jesus whispers those same words to us. He says, my brother, my sister, you no longer belong to evil. I have ransomed your soul and now I give you back to God. This is the good news. This is grace. It is extravagant, extravagant grace. And we need people to remind us of this. We need people in our lives to remind us that this is the reality of God with us. And again, I say like this is what our small groups are for. It's so that we can have the kind of relationship, where we can speak this grace to each other. It's interesting because. It's not good for us to be alone because we need people to speak grace into us. But it's also not good for us to be alone because we need to be speaking grace into others. Okay, it's not just you who suffer when you're alone. But you actually aren't providing the grace that God wants to give to others if you're in isolation when you separate yourself, you cannot fulfill the mission God has given you because he wants you to love and to show grace to other people in your family, your friends, in your small group. And there are times, frankly, when being able to tell somebody about God's grace is the most wonderful thing on earth. It's amazing to, to watch someone's Heart melt because they're reminded of how much Jesus has done for them. They've been confused and feel guilty and condemned, and they've forgotten the forgiveness of Jesus. And God will call you to be the one to help them come back to the gospel. To help them come back and be reminded of the amazing truth of God's extravagant grace. But then there's other times where showing grace to someone else requires a sacrifice. I mean, the pastor, right, gave up not only the silverware, but the candlesticks. If you read the book, that was the only thing of value that they owned. And yet the pastor's willing to sacrifice. And sometimes that's what it takes. Because sometimes we're the one who gets hurt in relationships. Sometimes people disappoint us, and we need to offer forgiveness. Right? Sometimes the offering of grace means that we have to take the punishment. and We're not going to make them pay. But as we do that, we enter more into who God is. We get closer to God every time we offer grace. Every time we show someone else grace, we better understand what God's like. He draws near to us. Um, the last verse of Genesis chapter 2 It says that the man and his wife um, were in the garden. They were naked and unashamed. They were naked and unashamed. And I think that's a statement of the glorious reality that sex is in marriage. Uh, That a man and a woman can be together naked and unashamed. But I I think the principle, I want to be careful here that you don't misunderstand or apply too much. I think you're smart enough to do this. I think the principle that applies in discipleship. Because when you have a true discipleship relationship, when you're in a relationship um, with someone where you're helping each other to grow, there is an opportunity to be spiritually naked and unashamed, right? There's a genuine openness, a genuine honesty about what life is really like and how life is really going. us. Jesus has called us to make disciples of all the nations. And that starts with us here. We need to become disciples of Jesus. We need to grow as disciples of Jesus. We need to help each other become disciples of Jesus. We're going to be teaching you how to do that. We're, we're training leaders, the leaders of our groups, to be able to do this in our small groups, because that's where it's really going to happen most particularly. And so if you want to be a part of this, you've got to jump into one of our groups And experience this discipleship, but there's a sense of being naked and unashamed, where you are known. Where you're known by people. If there's someone in your life who really knows you and knows what you're dealing with, is struggling with you, is praying for you, you're being open and honest with them about where you are, about the help that you need, about the struggles that you're going through, you are going to grow. You are going to grow. It's a guarantee. This is how God helps us to grow. And the frustrating thing is that sin causes us to do the opposite. We run from community. We don't want to admit it, you know, because, oh, man, I'm the only one struggling with this. Or no one's ever done this before. Or, I mean, you fill in the blank, right? Every excuse that we could possibly have. You don't know my past. You don't know what I'm like. You don't know what my present is. You don't know what I struggle with. I mean, every excuse we can to separate from other people. Jesus says, look, I know you. You have my grace. And I'm going to put you in a family of people who have also experienced my grace. And my grace is the same for you as for them. If you come together, if you want to grow, you need to be vulnerable. You need to get to a place where you're able to share what's going on in your life. Because when you let other people in, that's how you share a burden. And as lives begin to overlap, as meaningful sharing happens and takes place, like that's, that's where you grow. I mean, naked and unashamed, it doesn't mean that you're perfect. right? It doesn't mean that you have no sin to be ashamed of. No, 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 no. It means that you're honest about your sin, and you're honest about your desire to be free from it. Does that make sense? You're in a relationship where, yes, this is where I struggle, and you know what? I hate this. I don't want to do it. I'm doing everything I can in my power to grow from it. Right? If you can say that, then in the gospel, you are naked and unashamed. Naked and unashamed. And God's at work in your life, and he wants you to experience the power, the transforming power of community. Because here's what's interesting. Is that even if your addiction doesn't go away, Right, even if your struggle continues and you don't completely stop sinning, right? Even if you never grow out of that sin, the power of being together, the power of fostering the kind of relationships that we're talking about, it will give you hope and joy. Because if you have these kinds of relationships, you will grow in just about every other area of your life. You will see God working. And though you may not be satisfied with your progression in this one particular area, you will see God's work. His fingerprints will be all over the rest of your life. And as I thought about that, thought about that, you know, one more slide. Sometimes our ongoing struggles I think are allowed by God to keep us in community, to keep us from being alone. I think sometimes God gives us these struggles so that we would realize that We should never, ever be alone. Right? Oh, I'm not really struggling with anything, so I'm good. Sometimes God keeps us in the midst of a struggle. He doesn't take away the struggle from us because he knows that it's the struggle that causes us to keep going back for community, to go back for help, to go back to confess, to keep that practice alive in our lives. Does that make sense? So I think God has this bigger picture that he'll even use our sin Even our sin, he'll use our sin to keep us in powerfully transforming community. It's about us encouraging each other to sit at the feet of Jesus. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we come and we confess to you that it's not good for us to be alone. We confess the ways that we've isolated ourselves from other people. God, we have. We've run from community. And even sometimes when we've been in community, we've hidden the things that are most important uh, from our community. Sometimes we're ashamed. Sometimes we just don't want to deal with things. And God, we bring that to you and confess it as sin. It's not good for us to be alone. God, we, we ask you to lead us. Put on our minds, put in our hearts, the relationships, the people that you want us to have in our lives that we can be open and honest with. Father, speak to us and help us not to leave here Help us not to leave here, Father, without without at least being committed to pursuing a relationship like this. For those of us who do have these relationships, Father, thank you. Thank you that when we know people and are known by people, when we are in these kinds of discipling relationships, there is glory, there is joy. Father, we hope We hope together that you will lead each one of us so that we would have identifiable people in our lives that are pouring into us and that we can pour into as well. In Jesus' name, amen.